Yo, this is your boy Buddy Ewing. I'm Draymond Green. Hey, y'all, this is John Quell John. This is Clay Thompson of the Golden State Warriors. And you are logged in. Logged on. You're logged on to the 10th year seniors. The 10th year seniors.com. 10th year seniors.com. You're logged in with 10th year Welcome to the 10th year seniors podcast network. This is Long Range Two Pointers. Now, to set up the backstory for you all, first of all, we love the ringer. Shout out to the podfather, Bill Simmons. We follow just about everything they do. And I thought one of their greatest ideas, especially during quarantine time, was the rewatchables. We don't have new live sports to watch, so what we do is we revisit some of our oldest and most unforgettable moments from previous live sports that you can go back and watch thanks to YouTube. So as they were doing this with The Last Dance and The Bulls, I thought to myself, there had to be some Bahamian basketball that we could find on YouTube for us to watch and we could do this same sort of breakdown. And so we found one of our favorite games the 2014 CBC gold medal game. I'm Ronaldo, by the way, not in studio, but joined by Tage and John. Far, all in their far own from studios. studio. I fuck, I, I fuck with your wallpaper now, by the way. <laughs> that's a shower curtain. But yes, <laughs> oh, it also doubled. That's nice, yes, though. I like it. I like it. Wall. This is a like part, listen, this is a part of what quarantine podcasting is. You find a studio wherever you could get it, okay? Wherever you get the best Wi-Fi and the best setup, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, All right, what you so do. the 2014 CBC tournament. Now, this was the last time that the Bahamas Senior Men's National Team program won a tournament. So that was, that was a big moment for us. And it also coincided with the year that 10YS started. So we were, we were new to this whole thing. These were players that me and John had been covering, players that Tage grew up playing with. So I just want to, before we get into this specific game, the gold medal game, I just want to get from both of you guys what this, what winning this tournament meant and what you f- remember from the exact moment when that happened. Well, the biggest thing from this tournament was, I think, the, the coaching staff. It wasn't your regular coaching staff that we are used to, where you always had the Marios or the you know, Norris or whoever it is leading the charge. It was a whole different, a different substance of how these players were coached. And I know Tage could go into more of how some players might have been disappointed with some of the coaching. But at the same time, it was just a whole different level because this is a team that <laughs> took a training camp to Colorado that were able to train in Colorado. So it's like the first time that we've ever had a training camp for a national team. I, I just remember feeling really good for the guys. That was a big win. Cuba's our neighbor to the south. I um I think we might have beat him in 2012, but other than that, I don't know if we ever beat him before. So it, it was a big it was big to win um win the region, and it was big to to win to beat Cuba. Um, especially for those guys, like now I said, those are guys I grew up playing with. I was the best man in like Mitch's wedding. Um, so it, it was great to see. Um, and I was I was really happy for him, and. Uh, John is right too. It's it's great to see our program grow up, and they have like training camp, and they go overseas and do all the cool stuff too. I was really happy. Yeah. So both of those really great points, but this will always be remembered. Well, at least for me, as this was the Larry Eustachy era, because there were a lot of people at the time saying, "Look, you got to look at what people from 
around your region, what people from around the world are doing. And a lot of this stuff is copycat. So you see a lot of the smaller countries, they have coaches from D1 programs or maybe from from the professional ranks because we know you had assistant coaches at that point. Well, we have one now. You had assistant coaches at that point that were leading national teams. And so Larry Stacey comes from Colorado State and it brought a different or I guess you could say to the whole national team program. Y'all mentioned the training camp. Well, that that's a huge difference right there. Like people that are not in the program are not privy to a lot of basketball stuff, may not know how big of a deal that is, but it really was. And at the same no. time, let's be honest, whenever you get to drape yourself in the flag, that's always a good thing. And for us, we're basketball people. Like, like we like to see the track and field athletes do it, but we don't get to see the basketball players represent the Bahamas this much and to actually come away with a gold medal. So that was a huge thing for me. And like you said, the training camp is big because of basketball. They slap those teams together and then they go. A lot, a lot of guys don't even make it to practice. They're off doing work. Like, Bahamian basketball players are like a nomadic kind of Type. So they're they're all over the world. They're scattered. They're all over Europe, all over the Middle East, North Africa, North America, South America, wherever. They usually slap those teams together and then they travel. So it was it was a huge deal for them to get a training camp together. And I think you, Stacy, he had. I know we coached Gio Bain at Southern Miss, so we had some kind of, um, I guess, familiarity working with us. I guess I remember when they came for like a summer, summer thunder too. So um. I'm sure it's not his first time here, but it was great to have like a, a coach, even though a lot of guys did not have too much nice things to say about his bedside manner, I guess. But the, really, <laughs> they could go on with that. We could take, we could indulge in that, indulge in that a little later. But the thing is, it's like, like you said, most, a lot of our players and people don't realize have full-time jobs. Like they're just not basketball players. Like we usually have two to three players on the team every single time who are full-time employees of other places. So they're not even getting like... Just like the, Furley. Yeah, the, the Furley, Deshaun, when Eugene was playing. You know, you have players who are literally have to take time off their job to play for the national team. And so you know they're not going to be in peak physical basketball shape with that. So that is another problem. And, I mean, it's less now because it seems like these places are more willing to let these people off. And now we have more pros all over the place where we could we could get them going well let's talk about the makeup of this team that we had in 2014 for the cbc because this was a this was one of the more talented groups i think it was a good mix of players that are played high level d1 you had and well magnum who at that point was just a few years removed from being pretty close to making an NBA roster and something that I do want to get into later because I will always hate the Pacers because of this. He should have been on an NBA roster and we all got, we know that. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, he was drafted, wasn't he? He was like a second round draft pick. Yeah, he was like draft 50 something in the second round. But also, talent wise, and I really didn't know, but Anwar Ferguson was pretty close to making the NBA too. Like I, I was, yeah, I was doing yeah. some so, research on him, and he so was we, the last cut on a Sacramento Kings team one year. So yeah, was so Ben. Ben was the league. last cut for the for the Nets, I think, one year. Perfect segue. So we had three players, well, four players really, with that G League level talent. You had Magnum, like John mentioned, Anwar Ferguson, Bennett, who played uh, Bennett Davis, who played preseason with with the Nets, and he was in the G League for quite some time before finishing his career. 
uh, various places in Europe. And then you had Mitch, of course, Mitchell Johnson. He was there too. Other members of the team, Kadeem Colby, who at that point just finished that amazing run with Wichita State that was ended by Kentucky. His brother was there, Dwight Colby, who was just going, I think this was around the time when he was just a freshman at Ole Miss, so he didn't really get a ton of playing time on this team. You had Scotty Farrington, Eugene Bain, Ray Rose, uh, LJ Rose, who at that point was playing for the Houston Cougars. And LJ was all. The, the stars of our game that we're going to get into. C.J. Hines and Marvin Gray. The the, the throwback. Also, LJ was a five star recruit. He was like the top. He was like the top point guard in the country. I think at that point, come going into Houston. The legendary shoot first, shoot second, shoot third, pass fourth backcourt. I of think CJ I Hines think that's the greatest backcourt of Bahamian basketball history of all time. <laughs> like. Take Buddy, Show me take what, Buddy out of the equation. You, take Travis out. Take Tom Tom out. Those two right there are the. It's the greatest Bahamian backcourt duo we've ever had. No, John. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Keep all of those players in the equation and show me a backcourt that had a better game than this one with the pride of the country on the line. There is no better. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast, you can go back and watch this game. You will not see a better backcourt than this wearing Bahamas across their chest in a game with a gold medal on the line. I promise you. <laughs> it's the best backcourt we've ever seen. Like, um, you know what's funny? Like, I know, like, you guys say that, but I'm trying to think of it. Like, I don't know. Like, if we get, like, Buddy Heel and, like, Clay Thompson in the same backcourt, I don't know if they could have this kind of game at the same time. Like, I, I, Listen, I, I don't know. I don't a a close second is Buddy and Travis against Dominican Republic. A, that's a close second. But first... A, a close a close second, but even they didn't combine for 44 in a gold medal game. No. That's what I'm saying. All right, so, let, so let, that's the makeup of the team. Let's get to how they got to the point in the gold medal. So I remember covering this tournament, looking at what the team was. I was excited. Eustachie was coaching. I was excited about training camp. Even though there may have been one or two people I thought should have been on this team and they weren't, you know, that's either here or there. That's always gonna, that's always gonna happen. But so I thought this tournament was gonna be a breeze. Word to Haha Davis. We open up against St. Vincent and the Grenadines, blow them up by 31. But your starting point guard gets hurt in the first quarter of the first game, and I remember us watching this game right. It was like five minutes in, and LJ Rose already had four assists. Like, we were rolling against St. Vincent. I was like, we got a point guard that's a distributor. We got a point guard that knows how to run this offense. This is going to be great. And he gets hurt. I mean, but although St. Vincent isn't, St. Vincent's not good enough, we still end up blowing them up. I'll Go say ahead, one John. thing about um, BVI you do not want to be a point guard in BVI because. You get hurt and knocked out of games. Like both tournaments in BVI, you had um, LJ get hurt and Shaquan get bulldozed on a pick that knocked him out of, of the rest of the tournament. So don't be a point guard in British Virgin like, Islands. I feel, like, I feel like LJ Rose getting hurt, that's more of an LJ Rose thing than it is a BVI thing. I mean, his, um, he was a top uh, point guard in America coming out of high school, and that was he was supposed to be straight to the NBA, and he just kept getting hurt. Like that's this is so it's, it's unfortunate. I I I was rooting for the guy, but that just seems like that's that seems to be how things go with him. He played in the junior level U.S. So, national team. Like just playing on the U.S. national team alone is is a big deal. 
Yeah, no, he was a five star. So, I remember he was a five star recruit. So right there, you say she has to adjust on the fly because your system automatically has to change. I think when your starting point guards no longer there because you no you are no longer playing with distributors in the backcourt. So they they adjust on the fly. The very next games, I'm I'm walking into the office thinking about how I'm going to write this story. I'm already thinking that I have my lead in place. And then we go and get blown the hell out by Antigua and Barbuda. And I'm not even researching this or looking at the history. I feel like it's the first time and only time we ever lost Antigua and Barbuda in basketball. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say I agree with that as well. But you got to look at the positives from this game. CJ and Marvin almost played the entire game. And they still played well. So which which is that was a part of Eustace trying to adjust on the fly and trying to figure out how he was going to manage the rotations. Look, in tournament play, when you already have things kind of mapped out for how you're going to progress towards for four or five games, when a starter gets taken out, that's kind of a big deal. And he's the only starter that played the style that he played. So it's not like like you have. You have you have like CJ Hines and Marvin Gray like they play similar styles, but I don't think anybody played like LJ played. How many minutes do you think Mitch got that game? Uh, the Antigua and Barbuda game. Yeah. All right. If you asking me that, it's not as much as I think it should be. So I'm gonna say Mitch got like 22 minutes. Tage, how many minutes do you think he got? I think we lost him. I mean, I'm looking at it here, but um. <laughs> I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at the box score yeah. he, he got I'm one minute he got one minute he got one he played one I I want to message him and ask him what the hell happened I'm sure he'd still wait, do a wait, lot wait, of cussing wait, wait, wait. he played wait, one minute Mitch played one minute against Antigua and Barbuda Plitch, this is a stat line one minute he went one for Trillion. he went got- he went one for four from the free throw line in one minute with two personal fouls and that was it Whew. I don't but know. That team. Uh, some dude from Antigua, because I, I looked at the box score, and this dude named Ernest Scott like, went off for like 25, 67 dude from Brooklyn. Like, just went off for 25 against us. I don't know, but you right, you know so, Mitch. So Mitch I don't, had I don't no, know what happened there. Whatsoever. So we go from the high of the blowout thinking we're going to run roughshod over this competition to the very low of getting blown out by Antigua and Barbuda. So that sets up the first match of this tournament against Cuba. Must win for the Bahamas if we want to still be in this chase for this gold medal because you can't. I, I don't think you enter the medal round if you have like a one and two record or something like that. We, like that's usually how these things go. I think looking at the, um, <laughs> Yo, the standings because... Uh, the powerhouse of Antigua that tournament ended up losing to St. Vincent and the Grenadines, you know, by a point. My favorite. Um, they would have probably. Yeah, we. I think. I, my I favorite think thing about that was us, that right? funky little line. No, we went two and one um, because we beat Cuba with the three little guys but with um. I'm looking with, at the score with Marvin and with CJ uh, and I think we would still qualify at the same time. Like that was um, that was such a weird think, lineup. Okay, and you know, worked. barely, but I think we still would have. If but, Cuba, um, if Cuba had yeah, one no, wing, that, that doesn't matter. Like a six five. If they had a wing, who was <laughs> so like that six five? The, the first game against ball, Cuba, must win situation, and didn't. of course, so, so Magnum won. does what he does. Like I mentioned, this is the guy that probably was the closest one to the NBA. This is your team leader. This is your seven footer that can stretch the floor, 
and and do all these different things for you on the court. So that game against Cuba, the Bahamas opens the game on a tear. You could tell they were playing inspired. A 22 to 9 run just to start the game. Never looked back, never trailed in this game. Magnum ends up going for 26. Kadim goes for 16 and 7. And Larry Eustachy may have found his answer with Ray Rose well, scoring 17. Their offense the seemed weird. Maybe I don't know if they thought, were trying to just coach for the guys they had. Maybe he, but it seemed like they just ran plays to get one Rose gets shots in a short in corner. Like one, plays and it still for, works. For 15 Can't argue with like, it. That was, wins that was weird to I mean, me. Their season was off and everything they ran was weird. I don't know. It, it looked funky. But I mean, it somehow worked. Yeah. See, the thing about Cuba, and, and this is watching them now. They just have they have great athletes, but they're not that great at shooting. Like it, the, you could almost say they're like us. Except I think the athletes may be a little more polished, like dribbling the ball. But shooting, they still struggle. Just like um, Justice, the center. He weighed like 400 pounds in this game. Like this dude is playing yeah, in, in Spain right now, making bank. And it's like he's one of the, the, he's one of the best players Cuba's ever had. Like I'm watching this game, like that's the same player. Like it's insane. But you got to remember, they, they had already qualified for the second round. So... It was one of those things where maybe they were trying something different. So to set us up, and one very key, important point about this first matchup against Cuba, committed to memory because this is going to come in very important later. C.J. Hines and Marvin Gray both played over 30 minutes in this first matchup. They combined to score nine points, shot three for 18 from the field. So virtual non-factors. Both played almost the entire game, did absolutely nothing, but Magnum, Kadim, and Ray Rose were so good that it didn't matter. The Bahamas still won. Again, both played over 30 minutes, combined to score nine on three for 18 shooting from the field. All right, let's put a pin in that. So we go on, we blow away BVI in the semis to set up the rematch against Cuba, and this is where we are. Bahamas, Cuba, gold medal game. And this is why you got to consider it the Heinz Gray game. Like, they were the two stars of this game. Both scored 22 to lead the Bahamas. But there was a third star in this game. Wasn't wearing a Bahamas uniform. But the minute, the minute you watch this game, you press play, this game starts, you recognize who the third star is already. And that is Sun Daddy. Sun Daddy. <laughs> Son, goddamn, daddy. Man. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> 10YS became we, I, I To this day, I have no idea what this man's real name Rashad is. Rashad okay? or something. His name I is think. Rashid. Rashid Clarence. Rashidi Clarence. Yeah. That's his name. I, this is why I, I follow him on Twitter. I'm, I'm ashamed. I still follow him on Twitter this day. So we, we were on a search. We had, as I said, we were streaming these games in real time as this tournament was going on, but... This announcer was just, to put it in great terms, amazing with the way he called games. So we had to figure out who the hell is this person with this list of catchphrases that apparently did no research. Sun Daddy's whole thing was, I'm going to say people's names and I'm going to say a catchphrase and that's how I'm calling this entire game. So Sun Daddy had his go-tos. He had 
Pull up. You got no bueno. What else did he have? Zoom, zoom. You got splash. Yeah, robota. Yeah, robota. <laughs> John, which was your favorite from Sun Daddy's list? Mine's from a distance. Yes, that the most annoying three-point call of any announcer in basketball. And he history. sang it like he was hitting notes too. It was real melodious. He he wasn't even he, saying it. Like he he was feeling it. Like it was at a point where you almost thought he forgot he was calling a basketball game and he was just singing. Sage, give me your favorite Sun Daddy catchphrase. Uh, who you're rolling with every time Magnum? I think Magnum. He was one of the leading scorers in the game, uh, and every time he scored, who you rolling with? Abs- absolutely. So he had two specific catchphrases just for Bahamian players. He had who you rolling with for Magnum, and he had can't catch up to Hines. And what was so special about Sundaddy calling these games, right? Whenever he would hit one of these catchphrases, he was so impressed with himself. The camera wasn't on him, but I could tell he was doing this thing like where he was doing a half smile and looking around like, yeah, I just did that shit. He probably had like, that was he probably me. had one yep. of those mics like that was the cricket people use close to his face, like standing up the old baseball mics or whatever it is. Because I'm telling you, man, he was more into the games. Like out, some of those games must have been boring. So he decided, hey, these are blowouts. Let me let me put something into this. He I put Sundari on the list of some of the greatest of all time. Listen, I know people think Tony Romo is great. Um, you've never heard Sun Daddy. People think Gus Johnson and Joe Tessitore and all of these guys make the game exciting. Nobody makes the game more exciting than Sun Daddy, all right? Like this is, he is, he is on the Mount Rushmore of ridiculous sports announcers of all time. Definitely agree with that. Like, I'm telling you, watching the game itself, you're like, what's he gonna say next after a basket? Like, it was just one of those things that you wanted to know what he was going to say. Like, it, it might have been, right. been better than the game. It definitely made the game better. So, you know what? 22 minutes in, let's actually get to the game. So, so, so you could tell this game right away is going to belong to C.J. Hines. He hits a three on the first possession. And it was one of the, those plays where a coach or even a fan goes, oh, shit, and then he makes it, and then you go, yes. But then you also think to yourself, he's going to take, like, ten more of those this game, isn't he? He hit that first one, and you know what that psyche is like. It's kind of like when you're watching J.R. Smith, where you may, you may not want him to hit that first one because now the green light is up there. <laughs> that green so light right after is the ocean. It's, that's his mentality. Right well, after that, is Sorry, go ahead, sir. Right after that, he leaks out and he, he gets a wide open layup. So right away, he scores the first five for the Bahamas. Go ahead, Ted. I'm just saying, C.J. Hines, I don't know if, uh, for those of you who don't know C.J. Hines, he is like, like J.R. Smith. If J.R. Smith was like 5'10", that dude is terrifying, like, just to hang around. Like, he, he's a very, he's a very colorful guy. And, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember watching that game, but watching the tape again, I remember thinking like, oh boy. When he hit the first one, like, he, first of all, he caught it in rhythm. No hesitation. Knocked it down. I remember, like, I, I was like, oh, boy, here we go. Like, this could be, for better or worse, this is going to be a fun game. And I was right. And that's the thing. Both him and Marvin around that, 
that same size. Like, they're guards that are 5'10", 5'11". But I think the difference between them two, Hines, elite-level athlete. Like, I remember him being a... Like, this dude is somebody who's a, a great sprinter at the time, too. Like, that's how fast he was. He had, like, straight-up track speed. And you could see that athleticism with him. Now, this was well after he'd finished school. I think maybe, like, seven, maybe eight years out of college at this yeah, point. Yeah, he was 30. So, imagine what that... Yeah, imagine what that athleticism was back then. But he still had some of it, and he had he showed some of that off and what is going to be our play of the game. But So, he gets us Marvin, out to that. Yeah, go ahead. No, I would say Marvin, his game is completely different. Marvin is like an Andre Mello kind of steady-handed point guard. Like, good at distributing, like, moves at a good pace as a get-in-between game. Like, so... Those two little guys took very different routes to get to the same place. That's a, that's a fun thing. So what happens in this game? So Cube already knows, look, Magnum Roll killed us the first time. He put up 26. He ends up picking up two fouls very early in the first quarter. Soft like fouls, the by the way. These referees are calling mark. soft. Yeah, he picks up two quick fouls, so he has to go to the bench. So right away... Eustace, the entire Bahamas coaching staff, shit, even the players have to be thinking, well, where's the offense going to come from? CJ Hines says, you know what, I got it. Don't worry about hold, it. Hold so my on beer. The very, <laughs> on, the, on the very next possession, and I had to highlight this play because this is amazing. He goes around the screen. Shot wasn't there. He keeps it, does a retreat dribble to get back to the top of the key. Rescreened and drove on the other side for a contested floater against two guys. Nobody else touched the ball in this possession. So you see, this was just all him. He played G Triple S A basketball in that one possession. Nobody else touched the ball, and it was, it was great. And that's exactly where I thought we were headed for the rest of this game. And even though watch rewatching this, I know we won. I got nervous for a second. I was like, shit. Yeah. He's going to take every <laughs> shot. It was one of those games watching, like, even though you're up by 12, you didn't feel that confident. You felt like Cuba could come back in, like, four shots, and, and this game is tied, and then we lose. Like, you honestly could have could have had that. And that's, that's kind of what happened later on in the game. What's cool about this, what was great about this game, what was kind of terrifying, I don't think CJ missed a three. This whole game. I no. think he might have missed one toward the end. He didn't. Like, we're saying this in jest right now, but he shot six for ten from the field, and he was four for four from beyond the arc. He didn't miss a three. He didn't okay. miss a free throw. This, like that, that's how, but that's that's what, how great he ended That's what was scary. That was scary about this game. Like, you, like, because if he starts missing, like, he ain't the type of dude to stop. Like, if he, if he goes three for three to lead the game, like, well, I just hit three, so... I'm gonna keep hey, shooting. So this that is, was this is his Jordan game. The curse. That's his, this is his Jordan game because even that last three he took, he had no business taking that three point shot, and it went in. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like tossed it up like right before the shot clock yeah. was was about to end, right? But so for as quick and as fast plays as we were playing, I thought what was key in that in that first quarter was Mitch was kind of the stabilizing force when the offense kind of got stagnant. For, for the Bahamas at one point because he hits a corner three and then on the which I this I thought this was a really key possession on both ends of the floor he hits the corner three and then he has a chase down block when the guy from Cuba was gonna have a wide open breakaway dunk and it shows that to me that was the evolution of his game because I think 
well, Tage knows him better than probably just about anybody else, but you knew what Mitch always was. He was the score first kind of guy, the always the person that's taking the most shots on the team, the team leading scorer maybe everywhere he went. But now you transform at this phase in your career to somewhat of this facilitator and somebody that is giving full effort on the defensive end. So I thought that was a very important possession. That's one thing that stood out to me. Um, it seems early on they tried to go at him. I, somebody tried to drive at him um, off the wing. He shut that down, killed that. Some some dude who was smaller than him tried to post it up. I remember watch, I watched the tape. I was like, that's not that's not happening. Because I know um, as Mitch got older, he really relished playing in the post. He was 6'6", played point guard, so he really liked to beat up on little guards. And there was a little guard trying to <laughs> go with him in the post. And I remember thinking, like, that's, that's not happening, bro. And uh, he shut that down, and that was the end of that. But Mitch, Mitch did the he, he did the glue guy thing, which kind of surprised me. I thought he would try to get more shots up, but he really kept things organized, and he distributed very well in this game. So, despite us going out to that good start and Cuba having a really bad start, Cuba started this game two for eleven from the field, but at at that point we're only down by two. So that should tell you that we kind of tailed off from that, that quick start that we had too. And then there was the Bahamas goes to the bench and a whole lot of turnovers happen. I think at one point we had like five consecutive turnovers or missed shots on possessions. Cuba closes the quarter on a 7-0 run. And it's a complete turnaround from the first matchup when the Bahamas led 22-9. But a lot of that was because of Magnum. No Magnum being on the floor. Cuba ends it leading 17 to 14 after the first quarter. And this was another play where I thought uh, Mitch was big for this team. So it's the first possession of the second quarter. Like I said, Cuba has the momentum, but he come, he's back on the floor. He took his mind off the dribble, drew a foul, and goes to the line and hits two shots. And I thought that was big because we were struggling trying to find a way to get a decent field goal. But you go to the line, get two, and that kind of settled everything down. I think the offense was just different when when he was running it for the team yeah there was more ball movement i think with the offense that's the like just watching the game at the beginning of the game it was just too stagnant and then that's when they picked up the pace started moving the ball around setting screens and you know they were playing basketball basketball is a simple sport move move the ball around get the shot up get the open shot like and that's what they started doing in the middle of the second quarter throughout the rest of the game ridiculously hot take john they were playing basketball yeah (laughs) <laughs> it was um and i noticed too um and at the end of that first quarter marvin even kind of got out of sorts like for most of the game he kept things organized and he kept the he kept distributing the ball but he got out of sorts in that first quarter and then mitch kind of settled him down early on in the second quarter and then they moved forward from there so um so good i just watched the possession again they even had like off the ball movement it was it was a really good possession and then there was a moment in the second quarter. I don't. I mean, it seemed as if there was something wrong with the ball. Like there were a few times when they tried to make entry passes to Kandeep, and it slipped out of his hands. And these were plays where I thought we were gonna end up with easy baskets. And then you're thinking, is he just having a rough game, or is there something wrong with the ball? And then they do end up changing the ball. Now, I know Bahamians always love conspiracy theories, and we always love to say people cheat. And thank God they changed the ball because we would have had a conspiracy theory going for this for years now. That's what this podcast was, would have been about. There was one possession where I think Marvin, he drove the lane and created the opening for Kadeem and Kadeem caught it. 
And I, I was like bracing because I knew he was going to dunk that ball so fucking hard. <laughs> and he dropped the ball. I was just like, oh my God, he's going to destroy this room. I think that was the that was the first one. I think he dropped the second one too. I've watched a lot of um, national team basketball in my lifetime with some of these players. Kadeem has dropped the ball a lot, even today. Like... <laughs> the ball is still slippery. Yeah, it's like I don't slippery. think it's that, like Kadeem is a very gifted player, but sometimes he just takes his hand, his eyes off the ball. It seems like and fumbles the ball. Like that's oh. just you're gonna get one or okay. two of those a game. But Jordan, they were back to back in that sequence. He did receive some vindication though because they did switch the ball. So obviously, in this point. In this, in this instance, it wasn't just a Kadeem thing then. Because they did switch the ball. Fair enough. Okay, so the second quarter was also the point where Marvin Gray went off. I think he had like eight points this quarter. So for as good as Hines was in the first, Gray became that in the second. I think he, he hit a three. He had a three-point play. Then he had, he had another layup. So he was really carrying the offense for this point until Magnum came back in. And... Right away, when, when Magnum gets back on the floor, it's like when you know a player is more talented than everyone else is out there and they have that chance again, they want to they wanna make their... They want to stake that claim to show that they're that guy. And you could see he was the kind of NBA big for where the game was headed. That 6'11 guy that could step out and hit jumpers all the way out to three-point range. And I think he was just a couple years too soon because he would have been perfect for today's NBA. Just watching this game, that was one of the things that I thought just watching Magnum operate. He would have probably been on and the Warriors. What I find interesting... Hopefully. What I find interesting is they did... Even um, everybody was hitting shots around him, but the, in um, half-court situations, they made a concerted effort to get him the ball. And then everything worked to him. Which I guess, when you have a big dude who's good enough to get drafted by an NBA team, that's what you do. So, Kadeem ends up... They switch the ball, and Kadeem ends up scoring the last five points of the half. He has a jumper from the baseline, has a dunk. Bahamas goes into the half, leading 34-29. And at this point, when Larry Eustachie didn't have anywhere to turn, your starting point guard's been hurt from game one. Your starting center is in foul trouble, not able to play. Who saves the day but the greatest performance of any backcourt we have ever seen in Bahamian basketball history? At the half, C.J. Hines, Marvin Gray combined for 22. You know what? This is what Bulls fans must have felt like when you don't know where the offense is going to come from, but Jordan is just going to find a way to make things happen, and we ended up just having two Jordans. How about that? And it just was foreshadowed. C.J. Hines are Jordan. It was foreshadowed with 22 points at the half, and then they both finished the game with 22. There you go. Now, if you was playing numbers, you could have made a lot of money probably. Were we doing that then? 2014 seems like a really long time. <clears throat> yeah, ago. man. They was they didn't have the digital system, so someone would come into the stores and write the numbers down on the paper and then take them in, and then you just do that. That's how it was yeah, back in the day. Old school numbers. Yeah. When it was real racketeering. So third quarter comes, and we open a 10-point lead at that point, and it seems like it over. It seems like we, we have we yeah, it seems like it's, it seems like it over. It seems like Cuba isn't going to have any answer for us. They didn't have an answer for Magnum at that point. Him and both him and Kadeem were scoring 
And right when we started to feel better, what always happens, Tree point in your that belly. team makes a run. <laughs> yeah. So Cuba, Cuba comes and they make a run and they cut it down to six. And this is where you need your stars to answer. And the star did because Gray hits him with another pull-up jumper. And then Magnum scores in, in transition. And then we start to feel all right. But whenever Cuba started to make a run, there was one of those two guys with one of those three guys, sorry, with the answer. Because at this point, Magnum is starting to get involved in the game because he was on the floor. And like I said, again, they, they gave him the ball. It seems like even though it was apparent that Marvin and, and CJ Wabin did games, they were like, all right, we're, even in slowdown situations, we're going to get the ball of Magnum. We're going to beat him up inside. And I, the thing is, I don't even know, like, because I don't even know if that was a great strategy because Cuba was just so big inside. They were just pounding. They were going at Magnum and at Kareem. They were just, um, it was really, really physical inside. But Magnum, he just had too much game. He was hitting jumpers on him. He was doing all kinds of stuff inside. See, but th that's the thing about it because they, they had, like John was saying, they had Eustace, who was bigger than everyone else on the floor. But at the same time, he can't step out and defend Magnum out 15 to 17 feet. So he was just catching that ball on the high post, turning, facing up, and he was hitting jumpers. He was hitting turnaround jumpers, step-back jumpers. He was going to work. Well, that's what happens when, okay, you, when you get drafted and you're almost NBA. Like, you could do yeah, these things. He, he was... He was showing I am an NBA talent on this team, on, on this floor of players, right? All right. That's, that's oh, enough sure. of the small talk. We need to get to the play of the game. So, like we said, the other team is always going to make a run. Basketball is a game of runs. Uh, Cuba cuts it to four, 47 to 43. We need an answer. I don't know where the answer is going to come from. You know who knew where the answer was going to come from? CJ Hines. CJ Hines. Okay. The Michael Jordan of the Bahamas. Let, let me. That's basically what it was. Memo to Go all ahead, um, basketball players around the world, teams that we play. Don't let a Bahamian dunk the ball. That's all I'm saying. Don't let. Don't let. It's done. <laughs> it's like that is the confidence we need. Like that's how Jordan making up his stories about this person didn't want to sign an autograph or this person said that his mom was ugly. Once a Bahamian dunk, a big dunk in the game, and the crowd goes crazy, just, just, just write it off. You're done. I don't know what it is about our country. I don't know what it is about our people. But the dunk is something that does something to our confidence in basketball that is really inexplicable. I need, what is the guy from sports science? I need him to come down here and study what it does to Bahamian basketball players because that's on a whole nother level. So let's set the stage, right? Like we said, 47-43. Cuba has momentum rolling right now. Bahamas kind of struggling with where they're going to get a shot from. At that point, it, it seems like the Cuba momentum is just going to drive them straight into this lead. But Cuba had the bigs. They had the size advantage inside. But those guys were slow-footed. Those guys were kind of on the out-of-shape side. So when they tried to go to that zone, they got caught out of position several times. So that lane Hines was wide open. Hines you go gets ahead. the ball on the wing, gets a step on his guy, and Eustace just does the matador kind of defense that makes it look, he takes a step towards closing the lane, but doesn't actually get all the way there. 
and CJ Hines just rises up, dunks the ball over the biggest person on the floor, and that was it. Like, the bench erupted, the crowd erupted. That was kind of like when Byron Davis had that dunk for the We Believe Warriors, and no matter what happened in the rest of the game, you knew it was over. Like, it was done after that point. The game was over for me. Like, you, if you're re-watching this, and we are going to post this so you can see this play, but this was, this was it. This was it for the game. What, what stood out to me about that was just how wide open that lane was. Like, he got that step, and that was it. And those dudes were right there, but they they were just so slow. <laughs> like, it was hilarious. They ain't know about no night ball, and, night league hops. They ain't know about that. But That the, ain't night league that, hops. That's some other shit. But this is where that sprinter-level speed comes into play, and it gives you sprinter-level hops. Because... You got to remember, this is a 5'11 dude doing this. And On a John good day. Early, Eustis, yeah, Eustis is not a small guy. Eustis is like 6'10", 300-something pounds. Okay, so if he wanted to take you out of the air, he could take you out of the air. But, I don't know, he, he let that dunk happen. He is forever immortalized on a Bahamian basketball poster. Uh, Kadeem ends the quarter on a jumper again. And a jumper. Who, who cares? And yeah, who, who cares about that, right? The game is already over. They didn't have to score any more points, but that was that was it. And then, of course, when Sun Daddy was going crazy with the dunk, and he hit his favorite catchphrase for for CJ, can't catch up to Hines. That was his whole thing, and he felt so pleased with himself saying, can't catch up to Hines. And then, and this you know what's funny? Sun- the crazy thing about that is there was a Duncan Hines joke just waiting to be told, and he he didn't he dropped the ball in that one. That actually is better. That actually is better. You can't have you can't have greatness all the time. You just can't have the great. You know, sometimes you miss it. He he was too busy doing the dun 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 sports center thing that that went into his head. That wasn't gonna make sports center because this this video was grainy. All right, so let's go to you know what it would make sports in and now though, because right yeah. now during quarantine <laughs> they putting on anything. <laughs> Yo, I so thought about watching videos. like a Bayern Munich game. <laughs> I think I might watch German soccer. Like I miss sports. Oh boy. So let's go to the fourth now. Magnum hits the first two baskets for the Bahamas, and it seems like we're just gonna run away with this thing. And at this point. Sun Daddy is no longer paying attention. He's still more out. He's just as amped up from the dunk as the Bahamian bench is. And so now he's just saying who you're rolling with repeatedly. And the <laughs> wheels are off at this point. Sun Daddy's just hitting it. Sun Daddy's just going with his best hits at this point. Because the Bahamas builds the lead to 11. That was pretty much it. it the rest of the game, I'm telling you, after this dunk, everybody was done. Cuba was done. Sun Daddy was done. The Bahamas is done. John, completely right. Dunks ruin, I mean, not ruin. Dunks change the complexion of everything. That's it? That, what else could you say? Like, once that happened, because even um, if you notice about the game, the women's national team was coming in and watching the game, and you, you could hear them in the background. And, you know, it's... They were loud. Yeah, it's BVI, right? So BVI and you to the, ooh. But, you know, the Bahamian people made sure that that was, that was heard. 
they made everybody join in with it. Like, <laughs> like, and thank you, thank you to the women's national team for that because they were great fans and they forced all the all the BVI fans to join in and become Team Bahamas fans. But it was, it was one possession where. I think you could see where Magnum got frustrated by the guards, and this was the most demoralizing possession. And after this, this is when I really knew like Cuba was done. So Ray Rose drives it. He has a wild layup. He misses it. Bennett gets an offensive rebound, kicks it out to Gray. He takes the three, and he misses it. Then Bennett gets another rebound. So that's already two. After that, you could just see Magnum on the opposite end of the floor demanding the ball, you know, Give me the ball. I have to touch. I have to at least get a touch of the ball. The offense has got to run through me. So he demands it. Takes a couple dribbles. Doesn't like where he is. Kicks it back out. Reposts. Just turns around and hits a 15 foot step back jumper. Easy. Just like he's a guard. Just legit takes a step 15 foot step back like Harden. He hits it from the baseline. And I think Cuba was just after that. They were like, there's nothing we could do. Like. Two, three offensive rebounds. These guys still get it. Their center's hitting shots. We're, we're out of this one. Like, this podcast ended for and me after the dunk, I so I don't know why you're still continuing to speak. Like, once they once that dunk what's happened, cra- like... What's crazy is Cuba... What's crazy is Cuba pounded us on the glass all game, but I guess they don't want five or ten dudes dunking on people. They don't. They didn't have. They didn't have the speed in the back court. They didn't have the speed in the front court. So the rest of the game to that point was pretty much just running out the clock. Uh, Marvin Gray gets a three-point play late with about three minutes left. It was seventy-one to fifty-seven. That was pretty much it. But to put it into context, like I said, I have listen, John. Out of all of us, you have probably watched the most national team basketball because. You traveled with teams at every level. Have you seen a performance from a backcourt like this? I know you mentioned Buddy and Travis in that game against the DR. Big time win. I'm not saying this was the biggest win we've ever had. I have not seen a performance from a backcourt like this. Show me somebody else that got 40, uh, 44 points with this efficiency. Well, Buddy scored 46 by himself in Central Basket once, but... No, no, who's counting? Doesn't, no, hey, 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 who's, who's counting? It's yeah. not the same. It's not the no, same. I would say you know this. What? <laughs> this, is, this is something where I look at – you look at this game. You watch – well, not even the game. You look at the tournament. You watch the tournament. This is like the, the changing point of Bahamas basketball where we're more than just athletic people who can run up and down the court. Like you have skilled players – who could, who could do certain things. You have rebounders. You have physicality. Like, people don't like playing the Bahamas because we're a physical team. But backcourt, yeah, this is number one. This is You needed it. You got it. Uh, what I thought was really interesting is if you go to the FIBA archives for this tournament where they have the list of the rosters and they have the last club that – the last club or the school that each of the players played with, right? And so there's a list for everybody on the Team Bahamas roster. You could see which school they went to or the last club they were with, except for Hines and Gray. Like, the space for them is blank, as if to say absolutely nothing. Like, nothing was happening, yet they were the stars of this game. And Even Eugene being... had mailboat. Yeah. Cybots. That's Stay at the Cybots exactly. for Eugene. And then Ray Rose exactly. had the... Uh... Ray Rose had uh, Globetrotters. Yeah, Ray's on the Globetrotters, I guess. I mean, so to me, that's pretty much them saying we're not, not even investigating where these people were playing, if they were playing. But yet, 
they ended this tournament averaging 13 points a game, and we don't win this thing if those two guys don't play the way they played, particularly in this gold medal game. Who cares what they average? They got 22 in the last game, each. They got 22 like, in the last who game. Who cares what they average at dunk? <laughs> like, TJ right. dunked all on a seven-footer. It, it don't matter if he didn't jump. He got dunked on. Uh, we had John's final thought from this game about how we thought it changed Bahamian basketball. Tage, your takeaways from 2014 CBC gold medal game. Ray Rose, though? Like, where, where'd they find him? <laughs> where'd they find him? No, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, I, I played with him at COB in, like, 2002 when I was, like, 16. I haven't seen him since. Where did they find him 12 years later? That's all I want to know. They found, they found him. him in time for him to score 17 against Cuba in the first matchup. And to, win a goal, and to win a gold medal. <laughs> like, they found him right in time. That's all I can say with that. Great motherfucking rules. So, go to YouTube. Call you can search for this. 20, you can search 2014 CBC gold medal or Bahamas versus Cuba. We'll post the links to this wherever we're sharing it so you can go back and watch this game. Trust me, it was probably even more exciting than we made it out to be, but we're basketball junkies, so everything to us is going to sound like this. We will bring you more of the rewatchable series. We're probably going to have to go to the junior national team next. I think they do deserve it because they had some big-time wins too. I think, Just the game you know against Dominican Republic. That I'm thinking we're gonna go to that one. We're gonna go to what I call the Dayton Albury Romadine game. We're gonna go to and, that one next. That's and and, be and the, the John Mark Nut game because I was there in the glory, stopped completely working. <laughs> like I, did, I was like, work is over. I gotta watch this game now. Don't, don't give away your stories now, John. We have an entire <laughs> podcast series. It's quarantine. We cannot get enough of your stories. As a matter of fact, if you want to make that one an entire podcast, you could go ahead and run that shit. <laughs> will we will we do the last game they played against Mexico? Cause I I wanted cause I was there and I was drunk off my ass. Doesn't matter, Tage. The only thing that matters is we got the gold medal. CJ Hines, Marvin Gray, the heroes. That'll do it for 10YS. Our first uh, this is our pilot episode of our version of the rewatch rewatchables. We'll be back next week. Y'all stay woke. <laughs>